So anyway, great to have you here. Glad you came. Um, it's a Father's Day. I'm glad you actually made it. This is awesome. It is, as Garrett said, the lowest attended uh, Sunday of the year. There's something wrong with that. There's something, something wrong with that. But I'm excited to conclude uh, the series that we've been doing uh, called Disciples. So we're going to, we've been walking through this series. This is part five. This is the conclusion of that. We're going to wrap everything up. Uh, the goal of this series has been to um, redefine or actually, I guess, rediscover what a disciple is. And in the very beginning, uh, we said that the definition is a follower. A disciple means follower. It means learner. It means imitator of following Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to imitate and to be like Jesus. This is a picture of my son right here. This is Percy. And uh, he is wearing my shoes, and the reason he's wearing my shoes is because Percy, uh, right now, I think this is amazing, has one goal in life, and that is to be like his dad. Um, it is the best goal. One day he's going to grow up, and he's going to be embarrassed of his dad, but right now, he wants to be like his dad, and so when um, he, he wants to wear my shoes, when we're in the garage and I'm working on something, he will grab a, a screwdriver, and he will bang on whatever I'm working on. I'm trying to teach him the difference between a hammer and a screwdriver, but he's not getting it yet. Um, he loves the things that I love. He's like way into Star Wars, which makes me so happy, so proud. Every night he wants to read Tar Wars is what he wants to read. Uh, he wants to be just like his dad. He loves to fight. I don't know if that's because he hears his mom and me go at it all the time. Um, just kidding. That's not the case. But he wants to be like me, and I love that. And I think God the Father loves it when we want to be imitators of him as well, that we want to take on his character. And that is what a disciple is. And today what we're going to do, we've tackled the disciple of Peter. We've tackled John, Andrew. Um, we actually have Matthew and Simon, the zealot. Today we're going to conclude with talking about Thomas. Thomas, the disciple. And so let me do this. There's not a lot of details when it comes to Thomas. We don't have a lot of information about him, like basic details, like where he was born or how he was called to be a disciple. Uh, we don't know even, actually, we don't believe Thomas to be his real name. So we actually believe that is probably his nickname. His real name, some people believe, is Judas. And so a couple weeks ago, we weren't going to talk about Judas. And if you were bummed about that in a roundabout way, we actually are talking about Judas uh, uh, his name, he went by two names. Uh, most people did back in that day because they had an Aramaic name and a Greek name. And his Aramaic name is Thomas. His Greek name is Didymus. Uh, but what's crazy about both those names is that they mean the same thing, and they actually mean the word twin. And so a lot of theologians believe that Thomas was actually a twin and that somewhere on the planet when he was walking the earth that there was a brother or a sister, a twin brother or a twin sister um, that walked as well. And so his name means twin. Uh, he's known by another nickname. He has a famous, infamous name. Anybody know what that is? Doubting, Doubting Thomas, exactly. Doubting Thomas because he did not believe in the resurrection or he was slow to believe in the resurrection. I honestly believe that um, that's not entirely accurate and he kind of gets a bum deal in the situation about grabbing that name, but we'll talk through that a little bit. Uh, we know that Thomas was a martyr, so like all the other disciples, he was killed for his faith, um, or almost all the other disciples. We don't know if his life ended in Persia or India, but traditionally speaking, he was killed by a lance of all things, so not a cross. He was murdered by a lance for speaking the name of Jesus, for sharing the gospel and telling people what um, he saw. So that's how he went down. 
Thomas never wrote a book of the Bible like Matthew or like John. Uh, although in 1945, I don't know if you know this, the lost gospel of Thomas was allegedly found in Egypt. There's a lot of uh, suspicion around that. It's called the hidden words of Jesus. So if you've ever heard of that or checked out the internet when it comes to the gospel of Thomas, there's a lot of controversy. Most theologians, myself included, do not believe that he wrote it, that it's not authentic. Hence, it's not actually one of the books of the Bible. And so Thomas didn't write a book of the Bible, but what he did is he did speak up in the Bible. On three separate occasions, he was recorded for speaking up um, throughout Scripture, throughout the book of John. And what that does is that gives us a small window, a little glimpse into who he was, who Thomas was. And honestly, to be, to be very transparent, you can't really package Thomas in a sweet little box, right? So like Andrew. Everything that Andrew did was bringing people to Jesus. It's really easy to say that. Um, it, Peter, he was the leader, right? He made mistakes, and he, but he always went big. You know, John was young. It's very difficult to put Thomas in a box. In fact, the best way that I could describe him is that Thomas was a mess, is what Thomas was. Thomas was, and Garrett said it in our office, a hot mess. I don't know what that means, all right, I'll confess to you. I don't know if that's he's an attractive mess or he has a warm temperature of a mess. I just know that Thomas was a mess. In one second, he's speaking up and he's completely courageous. And the next moment, he speaks up and he's totally confused. And in the following moment, he speaks up and he's a complete skeptic. And so we're going to look through those three instances where he speaks up in the Bible. He raises his voice. And we're going to skim through the first two, and then we're going to sit on the last one, the famous one about him doubting. So let's start in John 11. And this is where he declares his allegiance to Jesus. This is where um, he is, comes across, honestly, as very courageous, uh, the situation is this, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has just died, or he is sick, or Jesus heard he was sick, and so he stalls for two days, because um, that's just crazy. Jesus hears his friend sick, he can heal anyone, he can fix the sick, obviously, but then he waits two days, and the disciples are wondering what is going on, why, you know, like, I don't want to go back to Judea, but here's what went down in verse 7 of John 11. It says, finally, he, he being Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. So they were trying to kill him. They were trying to murder him because literally in the previous chapter, Jesus declared that I and the Father are one, which is a heavy statement. And when the people heard that, they were very angry. That's blasphemous. So they wanted to destroy him. And so the disciples ask, are we going there again? Verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus, that's his friend, is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, which is confusing. So why? For now, you, really, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And what Jesus is about to do is one of his biggest miracles that he'd ever done when he was on, on this earth. He's about to raise a man from the dead. He's going to about to do that, and all are going to be able to see. So if word hasn't spread yet, word is about to spread at this moment. But he's um, got to go back into a place where they literally tried to kill him. So he knows that that could come with a death sentence. The disciples know that, so they're saying, hey, let's not go back there. And then verse 16 Thomas, our guy, 
nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, and check this out, let's go to and die with Jesus. That is Thomas. I find that completely fascinating because Thomas, what is he known for? His lack of faith, his doubting, the fact that he would not believe in the resurrection, that he was slow to believe. And yet he is, catch this, the only one. Nobody else is speaking up. He stood up. He spoke up. And he said, I want to go. Let's go die with Jesus. He was the only one. Peter didn't stand up as bold of a leader as he was. John did not stand up. Bartholomew did not stand up. Nobody stood up. And nobody even knows who Bartholomew is, but he was one of the disciples. Thomas, the doubter, right? The doubter. He courageously said, Jesus, I want to go with you. Let's go with Jesus. And so verse 14, um, oh wait, sorry, I lost that there. Oh, Meek's going back there. So to be fair, that's what I need to say. So to be fair, when Jesus was arrested, right, Thomas didn't keep his promise. He scattered like the rest of them, right? Jesus goes there, he's going to get arrested, and Jesus, everyone takes off except for Peter. Peter takes a sword, chops off a guy's ear, but everybody else runs away. And so it appears that Thomas is all talk, right? It appears that he's all talk, but eventually, think about this, eventually Thomas got to fulfill his promise that let's go and let's die alongside Jesus. He went and he did die for his faith, but one of the things Thomas is not known for is the fact that he was a courageous man. Maybe a little impulsive, but he was courageous. Second time, we see uh, Thomas, he's confused. It's John 14. He asks an honest question is what he does. He speaks up, he asks an honest question. It's, this is during the Last Supper. So this is right before the, um, Jesus is arrested. It's before the crucifixion. They're sitting around, him and his bros, and he, the, Jesus makes these statements. And this is a verse we talked about during the Heaven series. And Jesus says this in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And here's where the good news comes in. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that, this is why, this is his purpose, this is what God really wants. So that you will always be with me where I am. And then here is the statement in which Thomas gets confused. And you know, so you understand, you comprehend, you should already get this, the way to where I am going. And so Thomas, in verse 5, literally blurts out as he is confused, as I would be confused in this situation, um, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. And then here's his question. So how can we know the way? Sometimes what Jesus would do is he would, uh, he would make statements that don't make sense at the time to the disciples. He would blurt out statements that just don't make any sense. But after the resurrection, after they had the full context or the whole plan, it finally made sense looking back. But at the time when Jesus would say these crazy things, they did not make sense in the moment. And so in that moment, Thomas is confused and he asks the obvious questions. And notice again how none of the other disciples are actually speaking up. None of them are saying anything. And so Thomas asks, how can we know the way? 
which I think is a very honest, sincere, genuine question. And he's doing exactly what a disciple should do. It's a good question. And the reason it's a good question is because he's a disciple, right? What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, someone who asks questions. And so he's asking a question. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Percy, my son, he has one question that he likes to ask me all the time, over and over and over again, and all the time. And he says, what that? What that? He'll point at something like a bird, and he'll say, what that? And I'll say, it's a bird. I could have told him it was an alien, but I say, it's a bird. And he's like, and his response is always the same. Like, he just learned the, mo- the most important thing in the world. He's like, oh, right? <laughs> so... Like, so what that? Oh, that's a lawnmower. Oh, what's that? You know, oh, that's a, like a, that's a fish hook. Oh, what's that? That's a remote control, and that belongs to dad. Oh, and he'll always answer with, oh, because he wants to learn, right? And he's learning, and he wants to be like his dad. Same thing with Thomas here. He's asking a genuine, honest question because, honestly, Jesus is being a little confusing. He says, so how can we know the way? And what Thomas is asking is, how do we know the way to heaven? And check out the answer because it's amazing because Jesus gave what is probably one of the most memorable, powerful, clarifying verses in all of scripture to Thomas's question. He says this, Jesus said, I, I am the way. Me, Jesus, the person standing before you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, Thomas, you know me. And because you know me, you know the way. All you have to do is follow me. And guys, that is the gospel right there. That is completely the gospel. Is that all we have to do is follow Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, go straight down this road, take a left at the gas station, go two more roads and then turn a right and you'll find your way to heaven. He is saying the way to heaven is through him. He paved the path, the path that only he could pave, that we could not pay on our own. He paved that path. And all we have to do is follow him. How do we follow him? Listen, it simply says get to know him. Get to know him. Your disciples know the way because they know Jesus. And if we want to get to know Jesus, it's the same path. We just simple, if we want to get to heaven, we just get to know him. And so Thomas, at this point in this stage, if you were to just read up to this point in the Gospel of John, you're like, oh my gosh, Thomas is the man. He is super courageous, right? He's willing to go and die with Jesus. He's asking honest and sincere questions, questions that nobody else is willing to ask. But then he takes a left turn in in John chapter 20, where he becomes a skeptic, and he demands evidence. All right, this is the infamous moment. Verse 12, here's what it says. Now Thomas, again, nicknamed the twin, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, which is a big question. So many theologians and people speculate on where was Thomas? Did he abandon ship? Was that why he wasn't there? Was his wife giving birth? We have no clue why he wasn't there. He just wasn't there. So, um, so because he wasn't there, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Because he died, right? He had died, and now we have seen him, which is a lot, a lot to swallow, you would think, Right? It is. This guy came back from the dead, and this is a lot to swallow. But on the other hand, think about this. It's halfway believable. 
Because this is the guy who fed 5,000 people. We know Thomas was there when he rose Lazarus from the grave. And so there's, he's seen a lot of miracles. So how come this miracle couldn't be in there as well? And so they said, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas didn't believe them. Here's what he said. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where his nails were and put my hands into his side, here it is, I will not believe. I will not believe. Verse 26, it's interesting. A week later, so one full week of wondering and wrestling, Jesus' disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And here's where it gets crazy. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, it doesn't matter what Jesus would say if I was in the room. If he said, don't freak out, I would freak out in that moment. Peace be with you. And there's a lot of theories, and this is a total side note, but I geek out on this stuff. There's a lot of theories how Jesus actually entered into the room. I don't know if you thought about that. Here's one thing that we know for sure, is that Jesus was not a ghost. So he didn't float into the room like Casper and just, boom, here I am. We know that that was not the case because Jesus has a body. He's, part of, he's God, yes he is, but he's the part of the Trinity that has a human body, and he did in his new resurrected body then, so he didn't just float into the room. So how did he get in there? There's lots of theories. There's the Star Trek theory that he was beamed down and all of a sudden appeared in there. He just simply appeared. There's the Star Wars theory where he literally walked up to the locks and he unlocked them, right? And walked on in. Then there's the Einstein theory, which this is my personal favorite. Einstein, when he was teaching, used to take a ball and he would throw it against a wall and he would tell his students back and forth as it would go, one day, at one point in time, there is a chance that this ball could go through the wall. And he would say, because all matter is made up of atoms, and atoms, there's space in between them. And so the idea is that Jesus literally could have walked up to the wall, and because he created atoms, he could align his atoms with the atoms of the wall and simply walk through the wall, which that would be cool, right? (laughs) So we don't know how he got in there. We just know he all of a sudden appeared, right? He was just there. And then Jesus goes psychic on Thomas, This is crazy. He like reads his mail. He had no idea this. What just first thing Jesus said is he said, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Which you guys, that's amazing. Jesus is being so gracious. So Thomas is literally saying, I need a sign. How many of us have ever said in our lifetime, I would like a sign, God, Show me a sign. He's literally giving to Thomas what we have all want and desired, which is to see and to touch Jesus. He is giving him that opportunity. And then Jesus says this. Jesus comes down on him. He says, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Now, this is interesting. We call Thomas doubting Thomas, right? But Jesus did not rebuke Thomas because of his doubts. Jesus rebuked Thomas because of his unbelief. And there's a difference there. And we can actually tell the difference in the words of Thomas. He said this. He says, I will not believe, right? That's what he said. In the Greek, it's actually a double negative. A double negative. He says, I positively will not believe. 
Because see, doubt, you guys, is like, I have a hard time believing this. There's some problems here. I'm wrestling with this. I'm just not sure. That's doubt. Unbelief says, I will not believe until you give me the evidence that I am demanding at this point in time. That's what unbelief is. And so Thomas was not, as much as he's named a doubter, he was not a doubter. Thomas just straight up did not believe. He refused to believe. And so he's not so much a doubter. And please hear me on this because this is huge. This is so huge. Hear this. Faith does not exist without doubt. I will say that again. Faith does not exist without doubt. All right? Faith is not the absence of doubt. The absence of doubt, okay, is called certainty. And Jesus did not die or say, come follow me in your certainty. He said, come follow me in faith. So what does that mean? It says that we can believe without being certain. Belief does not require certainty. You do not have to be certain in what you believe. You just have to be willing. Truly, you just have to be willing. I've had so many people over the years, I've heard this phrase, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't really trust those people too much. I'm just being straight up on this. I don't, I don't believe without a shadow of a doubt. That's, I don't know how that's even possible because I have doubted in my lifetime. There are still days where I'm like, oh, are you sure, Jake? Are you sure? Because it's faith. We don't have complete evidence. Jesus is not standing right before us right now. And the reality is, is that people believe, almost everyone believes amidst doubt, myself included. And so if you sit in this lifetime and you've walked through and you're sitting here today and you struggle and wrestle with doubt, don't beat yourself up too much. Seriously, don't knock yourself over the head, oh dang me. Because everyone has doubted. Thomas has doubted. The rest of the disciples, a handful of the disciples even doubted. And you're like, okay, Jake, yeah, when? Where is that reference? It's crazy. Yes, they said, Jesus said to Peter, oh, you of little faith. But catch this out. When did the disciples doubt? Maybe at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, maybe in the middle, maybe near the end once he died. No, right before the resurrection. These are the guys who changed the world. And catch this. It says in Matthew, when they saw him, talking about Jesus, they worshiped him. This is right before Jesus goes up into heaven. They've done everything. They've seen the miracles. They've seen him rise from the dead. And then it says, but some doubted. The disciples, catch that, who saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, doubted. Some of them doubted. And so truly, doubt is a part of faith. It's in there. God wants us to move past that and to believe. And, and to believe does not require that you have complete certainty. William Sloan Coffin, a clergyman, said this. He said, faith isn't believing without proof. It's trusting without reservation. That's a huge statement. It's a huge statement. And so what can we learn from Thomas? Let's talk this through. What can we learn from Thomas? Because Thomas is a mess. In one second, he's courageous. In the next second, he is confused. He is demanding. He is even to the point of disbelief. So what can we learn from Thomas? Here's the one way, if we could boil it down into one thing, is this. And that is Thomas was in process, right? Thomas was in process, and that's what disciples are. That's my whole deal for this morning. My one thought, my one point is disciples are in process. I am in process. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are in process. I'm a mess. I screw up. I have doubts. I know that some of you sit here and do the same thing. 
We are a mess. We are in process. And that, friends, catch this, is okay. That is okay. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished. Therefore, we're in process, and he'll finish it on that day when Christ Jesus returns. Disciples are in process. We are all in process. I wrestled whether I should share this story or not, and so um, I got permission from my wife and from my daughter, so I will share it as we go. Um, This happened this week with my daughter and me as I tuck her in. I'm actually a little embarrassed. I can't believe I'm going to share this. Um, I'm tucking Paisley in, and um, she's my seven-year-old daughter, and as I'm tucking her in, telling her a story and talking with her, I give her a kiss goodnight. And Paisley, my daughter, really desires to be funny. She wants to be funny. That's She wants to. And so as I'm going to give her a kiss, uh, she sticks her tongue out, right? And I kiss a tongue. I've never been slipped the tongue by my daughter before. That was the very first time. All of a sudden, I'm tucking her in. It's a good, nice, intimate moment, and there's a slug in my mouth, right? And I reacted like anybody, any dad, hopefully dads would react, I freaked out. Like I just uh, instantly, I grabbed my hand and I pushed her face pretty hard away. I didn't slap her, okay, for all you people who are going to call the police on me. I pushed her face far, fast away. I'm like, whoa, we don't do that. That is a no-no, Paisley. <laughs> this is not appropriate, right? And she thinks it's funny and all of a sudden she realizes, oh, this is not funny, this is not funny at all. And so I said, we talked about it. And we said, that's not right. Daddies don't kiss daughters like that. We don't do that. Let's never do that again, right? <laughs> two days later, two days later, I'm tucking her in again. This time my wife is in the room. I go to kiss her. I don't know if she forgot or just thought it'd be funny to try it again. But the next thing I know, I go in and I give her a goodnight kiss and there's the tongue again right? And this time I was like, honey, no, we cannot be doing that. That is a no, 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 no. Okay. And she said, I'm sorry. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I forgive you. And that was done. And that was over and, and, and whatnot. And so all of a sudden we go back to reading our nighttime story. And I realize I look at her and her eyes are just welling up with just tears. She's very upset. And, and I'm like, honey, are you okay? And she's like, I'm so sorry. And then in her tears, she truly quoted like Romans where she says, I did not, I, you told me not to do it, but I did it anyway. You know, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And to be quite honest with you, at that point in time, we're in the middle of the story. We're reading our Narnia book, right? And we're in the middle of the story. I completely forgot about it at that point in time. But it is still on her head. It is still on her heart. And she feels so bad in that moment. But I want you to catch this. From a dad's perspective, it was totally over and done with, right? It was over and we moved past that. Why? Because Paisley is in process. And I understood that as a dad. Now, if she's 16-year-old and doing that stuff, not good, right? Not good at all. But she's seven, And she's still figuring things out. And as a dad, I'm looking at that going, oh, my gosh, I love her. You know, I know she's trying to be funny. Not funny. Good try, Paisley. But she's trying to be funny, and she's trying to, you know, whatever. But as a dad, I think as a father looking on us, it's the same thing. We make a mistake, and we're so hard on ourselves. And we're so, man, I doubt it again. I am the worst. I think Jesus looks down on us and goes, oh, man, my kid. My kid screwed up again. They said they're sorry, and then God moves on. And sometimes we don't move on, right? 
we get stuck in our doubt. We get stuck in trying to be something perfect, which we're never called to be perfect. Disciples are in process. And so what does that practically mean? Here's what it practically means. One, number one, honestly, this is what I think. Cut yourself a little slack. Truly, cut yourself a little slack. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't hold yourself to a standard that God doesn't even hold you to. Because yes, he says, be perfect as I am perfect. But that is only through his son that we are perfect. He gets the fact that we are in process. Imagine if you will, like uh, your house gets broken into and you have a little puppy in the house that is growing in the process to become a guard dog. You don't come home and go, I am so upset with you, little puppy, that you did not stop that robbery while it was happening. Why? Because it's a puppy and you don't expect that from a puppy. And I think Jesus recognizes that we are in process and we are gonna stumble and we are gonna fall. One of my favorite verses, not kidding, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is a quote from Isaiah, the prophet. He was saying this about the Messiah who was coming. He was saying this about Jesus. He's saying, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And what that means is that God, even if you make a mistake, he is not going to snap you off just because you're broken. I'm going to fix the rest of it. And I'm not going to, even though you have a little bit of fire in you, just a tiny little bit, I'm not going to snuff that out. That's not how God is. God doesn't hang us from a string, wait for us to make a mistake, and then cut us down into hell. That's not how it works. That's not how God operates. We are in process, and he gets that. He is a loving father. And so I would say give yourself a little slack. Truly. Keep seeking after Jesus, but but give your cutters, we hold ourselves and get so down on ourselves when we mess up sometimes. The second thing is this, and this is big, and please hear me on this one. Be honest with Jesus. Be honest with Jesus. Please look at me, you guys, just for a second. It is okay. You can totally admit that you have doubts or that this is tough or that when you make a mistake, it's not gonna knock God off the throne He's already aware of it, so just be honest with him. Just be honest with him. It's totally fine. I mean, he already knows about the doubt, or he already knows about the mistake. And so to be honest with it, you're not hiding anything from him, so just be honest with him. The Gospel of Mark, there was a father who went to Jesus. And I love this. He went to Jesus, and he asked his son if he could help, or asked Jesus if he could help heal his son. And he said, can you heal my son? And Jesus is like, can I? Do you like know who I am? You know, and then immediately the father comes back and says, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And that should be the posture of how we approach God. God, you know I'm trying to believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my doubt. Help me. That should be our process. Disciples are in process. And this is key. I think this is the key, the third thing that I wrote down here is when in doubt, this is huge, take a step. When in doubt, take a step. Or if you don't take a step forward in faith, you will get stuck. And oftentimes people get stuck in doubt. And I'm like, I'm not gonna believe like Thomas, I'm gonna hold my ground until you give me evidence. Some pastor, I'm gonna ask you questions that you can't answer because I need you to answer them. Otherwise, I am not going to believe. But when you doubt, 
I suggest you take a step forward. In that moment, you will be shocked. Just like the disciples were shocked when they went through Judea and they saw Lazarus rise from the grave, you'll be shocked at how God comes through for you. Because hear me, facts can only take you so far until it gets to a point where you have to take a step of faith. But the key is to take that step of faith. And it could be a baby step. It could be as simple as like, oh, I'm just going to try tithing. I've never done that before. Let's see how God comes through. Or I'm going to try serving on a team or serving in my community or caring for someone who needs it. Or I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to share what I think I know, what I hope I know, what I think I believe. Take a step. Do something. Take a step. When you're in doubt, take a step. Garrett was telling me in his office this week that his wife says this is a saying that she says, is that right feelings often follow right actions. I think that's very wise. When you're in doubt, take a step. Disciples are in process. Now, Thomas, here's what's cool. Eventually, Thomas took that step. Yes, he was slow to believe, right? We all know that. But when he saw Jesus, okay, because catch this, when he saw Jesus, there is no record that Thomas actually touched Jesus. A lot of people just assume, even the paintings show, that he touched Jesus. But there is no actual documentation that he touched Jesus, only that he saw Jesus. In fact, the scriptures allude to the fact that all Thomas had to do was to see Jesus again. And when he saw him again, that was enough and that he believed at that moment in time. That's Thomas's testimony, that he saw Jesus. Not that he touched Jesus, but that he saw Jesus. And then Thomas said this, and this is crazy, in verse 28. He said, in response to seeing Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. And most of the time, I'm going to guess this, when we read through scripture, we look at those words and we think, oh, not a big deal. Okay, he believed. You need to understand that this is the highest assertion of divinity to Jesus by any other apostle, period. Right? He is saying huge things right here. Those words are huge. The highest assertion of divinity by any apostle. Yes, Peter said, we think you're the Messiah, and he gets a lot of credit for that. But right, but what Thomas is saying here is, one, Lord, I, you are my master. I will follow you. But here's the big thing, and you are God, which is saying you are equal to the Father, which is crazy because the writer John, the, the writer, the, the, the disciple John who wrote this, literally uses his story, this declaration that Thomas made to wrap up his entire book, case in point, Jesus is God. It's huge. The whole book of John goes to this moment where they define who is Jesus, who is Jesus, who is Jesus, who is Jesus, and Thomas gets to say the word. The doubter says the word, you are Lord and you are God. It is huge. And in the end, Thomas got to prove that. He laid down his life. He gave his life for Jesus. But up to that point, until he died, guess what he was? He was in process. He was courageous. He was confused. He made mistakes. He doubted. But in the end, not when he died, but when he went into heaven and God made him perfect, that was when he was perfect. The rest of that time, he was in process, and so are we. So let me conclude here with the response of Jesus to Thomas. This is what he said when, when, this is what Jesus said to Thomas when Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe, and he's talking about us, who believe without seeing me.
There is a blessing that comes to us from knowing God and believing in God without having seen everything by taking that step of faith. I don't know what that blessing is. In fact, I looked a lot in a lot of commentaries and asked a lot of my pastor friends, what do you think that blessing is? And we don't know for sure, but my guess would be that on the moment that we see him and our faith becomes sight, that moment will be all better, more blessed than any other moment because, oh my gosh, yes, that one sliver of doubt that I had, I don't have it anymore. What a blessing that will be because we believed without seeing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.